Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning I want to start, I'll start with a, a top ten list. I'll let David Letterman of all you fans. These are actual classified ads found in daily newspapers. And I want to look at them um, for the, the errors that they have in them and the kind of funny way they have of saying things that makes it a little misleading. So number one, for example, wanted. Man to take care of cow that doesn't smoke or drink. Now, I don't know of any cows that smoke or drink, but, you know, it's good to put that in there because we got all that. Number nine, try us once, you'll never go anywhere again. Now, I don't know if that's a threat, because my mom used to say stuff like that to me. Try that once, and we'll see where it gets you. You'll never go anywhere again. Number eight, this is a public service announcement, maybe. Dog for sale. Eats anything and is fond of children. So, got some kids you got to get rid of. We got a dog for you, right? This next one is kind of out of bounds a little bit. Uh, it's, it says, illiterate, write today for free help. If I could write, then I wouldn't. Anyway, I don't know, that's kind of insulting on that one. But number six, this one's a little misleading too. It's kind of a bait and switch. Stock up and save, but the limit is one. Stock up on one and then save, right? Is that stocking up, right? Number five, this one makes sense to me, though. Man wanted to work in a dynamite factory. Must be willing to travel, and sometimes <laughs> travel very quickly in places, right? Now, this next one, this, this one, I, I, you know, we got to figure this one out. There's a semi-annual after Christmas sale. Semi-annual is twice a year, so we have one in, what is it, January, and then another one in June or July. Semi-annual after Christmas sale. This next one is, is the winner, though. For sale, antique desk, suitable for lady with thick legs and large drawers. <laughs> Ladies, if you have thick legs and large drawers, man, do we have the desk for you. This next one, we're talking about cleaning clothes and repairing. We do not tear your clothing with machinery. We do it carefully by hand, right? Tearing your old clothes for rags. And number one, every used car salesman talks like this. Why go elsewhere to be cheated? Come here first, right? You're going to be cheated somewhere. So those, those ads are funny, right? Because um, maybe there's a misspelled word or um, there's something left out. Sometimes things are just put in the wrong order. A cow doesn't smoke or drink, right? Stock up, only get one, but in that desk for the ladies. Now, you let me know if you have the large drawers. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but... But if we're perfectly honest with each other, right, we all probably had a moment like that when we were reading the Bible and it sounded something like what we just read up there on the board. It didn't always make sense. It didn't always jive. It didn't always line up like we thought it was going to. Um, the disciples felt like that on a regular basis when they were listening to Jesus talk. They felt lost and they felt like they weren't really getting the message. And if, if we're lucky, the disciples were brave enough to ask the question, right? out loud, ask Jesus their question, and not just let that moment pass. So that's part of my encouragement for us this morning, is that when we're reading the Bible, reading through God's words, we don't quite understand exactly what it is that he's talking about. Don't just keep glossing over it. Back up a couple of times and see if we can maybe get something a little bit more out of it, see if we can get the message that he, he has for us. And that's kind of the case with the gospel message this morning, right? The gospel message this morning. The disciples felt a little lost with what Jesus was saying. He said, you've been doing all these things. And they said, when did we ever do anything like that? They just literally were not picking up what he was putting down. 
And again, if we're completely honest, and I like to be standing up here, I like to be with you guys, I, if we're completely honest, that idea of the disciples being lost like that, that happens to us on a regular basis. But here's the thing. Uh, we need to pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Because sometimes when Jesus is talking, like he was in the gospel reading, all of a sudden he throws out this nugget of information when we least expect it. Right? And it's a rather important nugget of information. And then as we read that passage again, and as we talked about earlier, as we pull that passage out and we turn it like a gem in our hands and we let it reflect different light and let it refract different light, we learn different things from it. And Jesus can teach us different things from that passage. And in this passage, Jesus goes even further to surprise us by basically saying, I'm coming back when you least expect it. I'm coming back when you least expect it. In the middle of all of this, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And I've told you before, and I'll keep telling you, that when Jesus says the kingdom of God, or when he says the kingdom of heaven, those are synonymous. Those are the same idea, the same thing. And Jesus does that quite often, by the way. He talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, of heaven. Probably more often than you would guess. And so I'd like to just play that, a little game in your head right now. The word kingdom, in the New Testament now, we're talking New Testament here. I want you to, and I want you to think about the Gospels. I want you to think, how many times does the word kingdom appear in the Gospels? And frankly, we could say the first three Gospels. How many times does the word kingdom occur in the Gospels? And I want you to pick a number in your head. Now, as if you were trying to win $10,000 by guessing how many marbles are in the, jar, in, the, in the jar, I want you to really think about this for a second. How many times do you think the word kingdom appears in the Gospels? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick a high number in your head. Again, trying to win this, this contest. Pick a high number of how many times the word kingdom appears in the Gospels. And then pick a high number, and I want you to double it. That's how many times it occurs. So by a show of hands, then if you pick a high number, how many times the word kingdom appears in the Gospels? And double it. How many of you got a number higher than, like, 80? How many got one higher than 90? More than 100? More than 120? It's actually 126 times that the word kingdom appears in the first three Gospels, mostly. And then it's interesting to know that it only, the word kingdom only occurs like 34 more times in the rest of the New Testament. It occurs in Matthew like 55 times alone. I'm going to go on more about that later. But okay, so why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about statistics here in, in church? Because here's the thing. The more we know and the more we keep in mind what we know, then the more we're going to get out of our Bible reading time. All too often, we're too passive when we read the Bible, right? We got to be a little bit more knowledgeable with it. We got to hang on to what we know and we got to take what we know while we're reading into it. Then we're going to understand more the message that God has in store for us if we keep in mind some of these things that we know and some of these things that we understand. Now, as we read through the Bible, keeping that stuff in mind, as we read through the Bible, there are two main themes, two main ideas that, that permeate through the Bible, that go through the Bible, that we need to keep in the front of our minds while we're reading through these words. Now, I've done this before. I do this with our youth group. Um, and I'm, I want to take kind of a different spin on how we talk about it in the youth group, because we break it down into two different ways with our youth group, God's commands and God's promises. 
Right? And we're going to be very close to those. We're going to parallel that very close. So we'll look at a passage, um, and not commands as in the Ten Commandments, the commands that God tells us things to do. And then there's a promise usually right behind that. Uh, Jeremiah 33.3 3 is a good example of that. God says, call to me, that's a command, and I will answer you. That's a promise. Right? So those things come together. Now, keeping that in mind, there are two main themes that run through the Bible. The first one is this big churchy word that we've talked about before called covenant. Covenant. And we covered this several months or a year ago or two years. We talked about Abraham. But just to review real quick, a covenant is, is like a promise between two people. Two parties, two people. It's like a promise. It's a contract, yes. But I, for today and for what we're going to be doing through this series, I want you to be thinking of it as a promise, more like a promise. And I tell you on a regular basis, or, or we, and we pray on a regular basis, that the Bible is, is a book about God's promises to us. Right? God's covenant to us, God's promises to us. Covenants from God to us. Now, when we dig into the idea of covenant, we dig into the idea of covenant, um, a ways back, like I said, we used Abraham. Jared had it up there a second ago. We used Abraham to illustrate the major covenants, at least one of the major covenants that God has promised to us. I used Abraham before in a series because when you start seeing how everything um, that God did through Abraham you start seeing how that all lined up with what God did through Christ, through the Messiah, and how they parallel each other. Literally, um, same time, same places, same words, same ideas going through those. When we see um, those things uh, coming together, um, how the Bible is this um, fit together, this beautifully um, ornately made and crafted, like almost like a puzzle where everything just kind of fits right together and we can see the whole picture. When we start to see that, that should help us start to believe God's promises and lean into God's promises more and more. But to really understand a word, and there's a, a process that we use when we're studying the Bible called the, called the rule of first occurrence. When does this first occur? Right? And we talked about that with Abraham. We talked about the time that the word love first appears in the Bible. is isn't until the 22nd chapter of Genesis. There's a lot going on between... Genesis 1 and Genesis 22. And the word love comes out um, in Genesis 22 when God talks to Abraham, and God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Now, if I just said that, you'd say, well, isn't that New Testament stuff? Isn't that God talking about Jesus? Absolutely it is. Like I said, those two things parallel and they come together. But the first time we see the word covenant now is not with Abraham, it's with this guy named Noah, right? Genesis 18, so look at, let's look at the first time we see the word covenant in the Bible. God says, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So now when we see the word covenant, we have to think the word promise. Also when we see the word testament, we need to think the word promise. Later on this morning, we're going to talk about the words of institution. Sometimes during the words of institution, you hear the word covenant. I like to use the word testament because it just puts more skin on what God has done for us. Kind of a synonymous word. But think promise when you think those. By most accounts, there are seven covenants or promises that God makes with us. And they all have a common denominator. And you see it right here in verse 18. God says, I will. 
That's God's covenant to us. Right? How do we know when God is doing something for us? He says, I will. But there in, in, then in Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, God makes this amazing promise of a promise. He makes a promise of a promise. Jeremiah 31, I want to read three verses here. God says in Jeremiah the prophet, by the way, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. I will make a new covenant, right? That's a promise of a promise. Then he goes on to describe that promise. He says, this covenant, this promise, will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. Promise of a promise, says the Lord. I will put my, my instructions deep within them. This is all covenant language right here. I will write on their hearts. I will be their God. And then look at this last part. They will be my people. So this, again, is a promise to make a new promise new covenant with his people, with God's people. And so then with this promise and here in Jeremiah, with this promise, with this new covenant, the focus in the Bible shifts. The focus in the Bible shifts. And although God continues to do what he always says he is going to do and he has done, the focus shifts from God saying, I will, to them saying, they will, referring to his people, referring to us. And the word we constantly see focusing on, on that idea coming out in the New Testament, one, we have covenant, but now we have a new thing, a new idea coming up, and that's the kingdom of God. It's the word kingdom. Now, scholars look at these two concepts, right? Look at these two concepts. Covenant in the Old Testament, kingdom in the New Testament. And that idea doesn't, isn't completely false. Scholars say we have covenant in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. We have kingdom in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. That doesn't quite jive, but the idea is there. It doesn't miss the mark completely, but it does limit the power uh, and the teachings of Jesus. So then, if, if covenant is a promise, right? if covenant is a promise, then kingdom is the response or the reaction to that promise the response that comes from God's people. That response that comes from God's people, as it says in Ephesians like 4.1, for example, what should our response, what should our, our reaction be to that covenant? Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore, as Paul talking, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. In other words, you have become kingdom workers. So we now we've, we've finished up our series on identity. We're talking about where does our identity come from. Our identity, of course, is what we believe about ourselves, right? Who we believe we are. And so now we're rolling right into our identity as kingdom workers. So we're going to roll into a series and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to talk about us being kingdom workers. A kingdom worker is as a response and a reaction to the covenants, to the promises 
that God has made to us and for us. So then after learning all of this, all that stuff we just talked about, we should be asking some questions in our head, like um, what does the kingdom look like? How do I become a kingdom worker? What does that look like? What kind of job is that? So now the Bible tells us about two kinds of kingdoms, two kingdoms. One is the kingdom of God, and the other is the kingdom of this world. We see a a brief glimpse of the kingdom of God in the Garden of Eden, right? Genesis 1. God created it, and it was good, right? Birds, fish, sun, moon, animals. Then after Adam and Eve, it was very good. No suffering, no pain, no death. Perfect communion between God and us. It was shalom. It was perfect peace, all as it should be. Until it wasn't. But the word garden here isn't meant to communicate a patch of that patch of dirt that you have in your backyard where you grow your tomatoes and and zucchini and things, your backyard vegetables. It's not meant to be, to think that. And it's also, if you're in Europe, when you think garden, it's all that lawn in front of your house, right? That's not what we're talking about here either. The word garden, as we see it, for example, in Genesis uh, 2, 8, I think it is, means a beautiful botanical estate that would surround and protect a king's palace, a place where the king dwelt, would walk in the cool of the evening, Right? Like I said, everything was perfect, everything was shalom, everything is how it should be, but then it wasn't. Right? We read in Genesis 3 how Lucifer um, deceived Eve and sin entered the world. And so the kingdom of this world was set against the kingdom of God. And when we really have that in mind while we're reading through the Gospels and reading through the, the New Testament especially, some startling things jump out at us when we start thinking about how the kingdom of this world is set against the kingdom of God. When we keep that idea, like I said, when we know these things, we need to keep them in the front of our minds as we're reading through the Bible, and then different things are going to jump out at us and probably hit us in different ways. So some startling things, some surprising things jump out at us when we think about the kingdom of this world being set against the kingdom of God. For example, John 12, 31. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, what? The ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that God isn't in control. There are boundaries, there are limitations that God sets on Satan But there's no getting around the fact that we are struggling against the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world played out in the Old Testament. We're getting pulled in two different directions. Are we serving the kingdom of God or are we serving the kingdom of this world? Played out in real time in each of our lives. It's a struggle. Maybe more than that, maybe it's warfare. So how do we maintain the status of kingdom workers in this mess of a world that we live in? I want to give you a couple of real-life examples of how it works and how it plays out in real life. 
Um, when I was in the military, I traveled to several different countries. Right? And almost at times, it was on a monthly basis. We were going to different countries. And every time we went to a different country, we had to go to this safety briefing. Talked about the terrorist threat in whatever country we were going to. Um, talk about the different um, laws or the lack of laws in these different countries that we would go to. These, some of these countries would allow things that are illegal here, right? And so even though I was in a different place, I was still living under a different set of expectations, right? You can't go and buy um, drugs at places that, that are illegal over here. You can't go and do things that are, that are maybe legal wherever you're going but are not legal here. We still have a different set of, of rules that apply to us. In the same way, in the same way, we have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world fighting against each other. So, so we live here. We have the same address, right? Uh, people of, of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. We have the same address. We live right next door to each other. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we live through these things? How do we make these decisions and make these things different about when we actually live near or adjacent to one another? Um, I learned some interesting things going to different countries. Um, I want to show you a map here of the country of Laos. Right? Some of you that are a little bit older probably know this map a lot better than some of us. Right? The Laos and Vietnam right, border one another. Now, back in the day, before there were solid borders uh, drawn on maps, you know, they just kind of felt where the border was. And the two kings of Laos and Vietnam we were trying to decide how they were going to tax people that lived on the border, right? Do they belong to you? Do they belong to me? How, did that, how are we going to figure that out? And they said this. This is what they said that they were going to do. Based, they, how, where were people going to pay their taxes? It wasn't based so much on exactly where they lived because the line wasn't drawn exactly. So it wasn't based on exactly where they lived. It was based upon their behaviors, their actions, um, their deeds, right? How were they going to do that were they based on their behaviors, based on their beliefs? So here's what they did. They said, if people eat short grain rice and build their house on stilts, right, they belong to Laos. But if they, if they eat long grain rice and build their houses on the ground and do a couple of other things, then they belong to Vietnam. So that it, it didn't matter so much where you lived geographically and, and on the border. It mattered more your beliefs, your deeds, your lifestyle, your behaviors. That determined which kingdom you belonged to. Your behaviors, your beliefs determined which kingdom you belonged to. So even though they were intermixed all over the place, it was very clear which kingdom they belonged to. 2 Corinthians 4 says this about this world. It says, the ruler of this world, again, you know, as we're keeping this in mind, there's some startling things that jump out on the page. The ruler of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Right? Thus, behaviors, beliefs are going to determine which kingdom you're living in. Not based on geography, but based on behavior, based on beliefs. It goes on to say that they can't see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ. But here's the thing. Remember, I said there's limitations, right, for the ruler of this world. Satan does not rule over all mankind. We can look at Satan like you did when you were a kid when somebody's trying to tell you what to do, and you can say, you're not the boss of me. Right? 
You can look at Satan and say, you're not the boss. Look at first, uh, I'm sorry, look at Colossians 1.13. God made us free from the power of darkness. And he brought us into what? The kingdom of his dear son. Brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Delivered us, right? Brought us into, delivered, rescued all believers. The ones that he made that covenant with. That promise to. But again, and here's the deal, and there's no getting around this. There's a choice that has to be made by each person regardless of who they are or where they live right now. Laos and Vietnam, are you eating short grain rice? Are you eating long grain rice? That determines your behaviors, your beliefs, determines which kingdom you belong to. Our behaviors, our beliefs, determine which kingdom we belong to. Do we belong to the kingdom of this world or do we belong to the kingdom of God? Just like those different countries I was in, you know, different system in place but we serve a different kingdom. So again, it's not about where you live, it's about which kingdom you serve. It's about your reaction. It's about your response to the covenant promises that God has given to you. It's about your reaction and your response to the covenant promises that God has given you. I'm going to leave you with 1 Corinthians 6.20, one of those do you not know moments? Christ has paid the price for you. So use your bodies and your lives in a way that honors God. This is the first segment in a, in a series that we're going to call Kingdom. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. We're going to talk about different ways to stay out of the kingdom of this world and stay in the kingdom of God, even though there's all this conflicting stuff that's coming down at us, even though we're facing different rulers and different powers and different authorities here on this earth, shouldn't matter to us. Because again, it's about your reaction, it's about your response to the covenant promises that God has made for us. Amen? Amen. Would you please stand with me?